Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist and director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium, right here in the Big Apple. What else would New York City be, Leanne? The medium-sized apple, <laughs> depending I, on attrition of the population. <laughs> I got Leanne Lord across from me as my co-host. Thanks, Leanne, for coming in for this. Thank you for the invitation. Excellent. We don't get enough of you here. We no, get, no, you don't, we'll actually. Get, we'll get some more. <laughs> now, you know who we invited into studio today? You see him, but I have to. you don't know who he is yet. No, I don't. His name is Mark Abrams. Wait, and wait. The Mark Abrams? <laughs> That's good. You're good. You're good. Oh, Very yeah, good. I catch on. You're good at a cocktail party. Oh, you're the one. You're the one I always thought. I am actually fabulous <laughs> at cocktail parties. I really am. It's on my card. So he's co-founder of the Science Humor Magazine. You ever thought you'd see those three words together in the same phrase? Actually, after meeting you, yes. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's a magazine I've known like my whole professional life. Annals of Improbable Research. Annals of Improbable Research. Which you have to pronounce very carefully. Exactly. And he's founder of the Nobel Prize Ceremony. Well, no, we already have one of those. So yes. He had to find a different name. Slightly. The Ig Nobel Prize Ceremony. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's actually a word. I had to like look that one up again. If you're ignoble. Wait, it's wait. Like, so, you had to look something up? No, I did. Just well, to I make sure. I don't feel bad No, now. I had an idea, about, but I had to look it up just to confirm. Okay. If you're ignoble, it's like you ain't what anybody should be emulating. Mm. <laughs> I have a lot of that in my life. So he's on. got an ignoble ceremony like in Cambridge every year. This guy's out of control. And... It's it's what he does is he combs that all the research that's, that's done. I think occasionally someone might contribute something directly to it, mm -hmm. but uh, beyond that, you look around and see what kind of science has been done. That's a little quirky, <laughs> and you say, "Why did what?" And then you find, "Hey, oh, hey, that's kind of interesting, okay. or or weird, or they should be institutionalized." <laughs> There's some reaction to the people who conduct the research. You mean those things that I see and I go, "Somebody got a grant for that?" I know, exactly. <laughs> like that kind of stuff? Exactly. This guy is like knows where those are done and who's done it but and whether or not they should be granted an award. So let me bring him into the conversation. Mark, Mark Abrams, welcome to Star Talk Radio. Thank you. Thank you. It's a great honor to be here. Oh, well, thank you. Thank welcome. you. With both of you. And so you're based up in Boston? I am. Okay, cool. Guilty. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Guilty man of New York. And Cambridge, even. Yes. The, 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 the other Cambridge, our Cambridge. Yes and and no. Yeah, yeah. Depending on who you choose to be today. Uh, yeah. This America, Jack. When I say. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you're everywhere. You're so. You're a man of the people. Yes. So tell me, uh, can you just submit a paper directly to the Annals of Improbable Research? Would you really, oh, yes. or, or is it entirely just? Uh, so what? What? What's the construct of this? All right. Here's here's what it's about. It's and it took about seven years of. of trying to describe this to come up with a, a phrase that people seem to understand. It's all about things that make people laugh and then think. Not laugh and then cry. <laughs> you can do that if you like it. <laughs> sure. That's the best kind, actually. Some people cry when they laugh. Those are the two yeah. things for, for drama, you know, the yeah. smiling and crying mm -hmm. face. Often they go together in yeah. this case. It's things that when you first hear about them or you first see them, they're funny. But they're the kind of funny that a week later 
the thing is still rattling around in your head, and you really want to go find your best friends and tell them about it and argue about it. So you want to create it so it becomes almost a, uh, uh, not a meme, but a little brain virus that you can't get rid of. In a way, yeah. It's, it's things that make you wonder. <laughs> that, that phrase, of course, can mean many things. I like, it's like, it's sneaky science. Yeah. So give me, what's, what's, the yeah. top, what's the best example you would give right after telling someone that that's the kind of research you look for? There's a paper that was published in a biology journal in Europe. It's a so it's a legit very, journal. Yeah, it's a very small one. It's read by only a few scientists who are specialists in that field. That would be true one for any them. truly specialist yep. journal. That's true for even the big ones, even Nature and Science, which are filled with reports that sometimes can make a person's career because they got a paper published in Nature or in Science. But the truth of the matter is that not very many people read those papers. Those papers are so very specialized, even the words in them. that not A few dozen, people, maybe a hundred people yeah. in the world even know what the hell and we're th talking about. And those are in the, the absolute top journals. So when okay. you get down to the really specialized ones, not many people see these. Anyway, somebody saw one article that was in this particular journal, and they sent us a copy. And that article Oh, so is, I, I feel better now realizing that you are not the one oh, no, no, no. combing every single freaking no, journal in the world. No, no. I and, and my friends and colleagues are always looking at things, but every day we get a flood of things. Thank The internet made life much better. The flood just is increasing all the time. So there's a flood of stuff coming in from people who notice things. This particular one that came to mind when you asked, it... This report is the first scientifically documented case of homosexual necrophilia in the mallard duck. Okay. <laughs> My blood just ran cold. Did anybody else? Because somebody's watching this. I, I, would be, I would be happy to give you more details. You now, how much more detail does one need than homosexual necrophilia in the mallard duck? It's that seldom, title has all the detail you need. Neil, it's seldom a question of need. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a matter of desire. Yes, yes. Now it's a car accident. I Now I got to stop and watch. Oh, ooh, very interesting analogy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. It's rubbernecking on the on what's going on on the side I of the road. Am, I am indulging in my natural human instincts. I am not rising above them at this moment. <laughs> I need to know about the duck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. So what what motivated this research? Well, first of all, Do you get to know that even. First of all, I, I should not exactly correct, but um, channel what Leanne just said. You need to know about the duck. You said but there were two ducks involved in this uh yes well the dead one and the live one i would presume yes would you like to hear the story okay i, I have to i'm Go sorry Neil, i have the to. paper was written by a man named case muliker he's dutch he is the curator of a museum in the city of rotterdam it's the natural history museum in rotterdam a very nice museum a few years ago they put up a new wing with all glass walls and from the very beginning birds every day slam into that thing. They don't see it certain times of day, depending on the light. And the people who work there got used to the... They pay very little attention. But one day, Case Mulliker was what? sitting there... Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, so the sound of, duck, uh, of birds snapping their neck, flying into a window oh, they, they don't, don't all, see they don't all became the, nat the natural din of sounds in their, yes. di in if, their day. If this happens several hundred times a day, 
where you work, you would get used to it very quickly. No, I would and, stop it from happening. And, and I'm sorry. No, no, you would adjust. You would, Human beings adjust you would, to all sorts of things. You would see if you could find a way to stop it. But I, as it happens, this story has, has taken many twists and turns, and I'm, I've become very friendly with the scientist who wrote this. And as a result of that, one of the things I've learned is that there is something in the very rough neighborhood of about a billion birds that die every year in the U.S. from colliding with buildings. A it billion. happens a lot. A billion. That's about the usual estimate from the people who have spent a lot of time trying to figure out how often this happens. And that's just in this country. And yet another study. <laughs> there are many of them. But back to the case. Of yes. The, one day he was sitting there, Case Mulliker was, and he heard an especially loud... And he was curious, so he went and he looked out the window, and he saw that there was a mallard duck on the ground that pretty clearly had just slammed into the building at very high speed, broken its neck, and was dead. While he was watching, a second mallard duck flew in, landed next to the dead one, and began engaging in activity with the dead one. Now, Case... Freshly dead. Yes, freshly dead, if you want to think of it that way. Okay. Uh, you know, Case studies birds, and he realized quite quickly that he had never heard of anything quite like this happening. So he decided to, and he did, get his, uh, his notebook and his camera, and he moved a little closer to that spot. He sat there taking notes while this was happening. As any good scientist would as, do. Yes, or at least many. And he continued taking notes as this unfolded over the next 75 minutes. So clearly these, these weren't resuscitation efforts. <laughs> Apparently not. Probably duck, not. Mouth to mouth. Or how do we know he's just not a, a, a bird pervert? I mean, a deviant he, bird? No, no, no. The guy taking the notes. Like, the internet was down that, that <laughs> afternoon. How, how do you. Okay, how do you, first of all, no, this was in Rotterdam. Their internet's never down. Oh, right. They, because when it, the internet's I, not going, it's going on in real life. Neil, in I, I yes. suspect there are I people. I forgot. It's the Netherlands. I forgot. <laughs> I suspect there are people who, hearing about an astronomer in New York City who uh, has been very interested in a little planet or non planet, <laughs> had a similar question about that astronomer they'd never met. But. That's just a guess. Anyway. Uh, but there are no planets mounting other planets to make baby planets. I mean, this is the di that's the difference between... Mm, not that we and know another of. theory is born. <laughs> How do you make more planets? How do you make system? more planets? Well, There's a mommy but, planet and well, a daddy planet. Let's, let's not abandon this. So say you've got a big planet and a little planet that's much denser slams into it and it splits the big one into two. That now, can happen. Now you've just made some baby planets you have. by I this just, method you described. No one watching that would assert that the cosmic objects were making love. That's all. They might now after Don't judge, hearing Neil. us talk about <laughs> that's right. it. Don't judge. I should not judge other people's... But <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, do not judge other people's love of astronomy. <laughs> <laughs> So, 75 minutes of data, and he wrote a paper on yeah, this. Yeah, uh, it was only 75 minutes, only. by the way, because it was at the end of the workday, and he was getting hungry, he wanted to go home to dinner, so he went outside and he broke it up, and he collected the dead specimen for the museum. He later did an autopsy, that's how he knows that the, uh, the victim was male as well as the other bird. And he wrote this up, and uh, got published, and uh, we gave it an Ig Nobel Prize, you had which to. brought a tremendous amount of fame to him around the world and offers to write books and be on TV and radio and he's got a whole side career going because of this but it also brought 
that study and this scientist to the attention of other people who study birds and who study animals. It's reached the point now, it was about 10 years ago that we gave him that prize, it's reached the point now where, as, as Case likes to say, if there's an animal anywhere in the world misbehaving, Case will hear about it probably mm. in a week or so. <laughs> Again, that's value judging that having sex with a dead bird by another bird it who's is. homosexual is misbehaving. That right, is, that we're putting is. human just, values you on just, it. You just value judge that. That is making a judgment. It is just nature being nature. I, I have to ask, was his first book called Duck Love? I have to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, his first one was called um, The Duck Guy. His second book was, was about... Did the Duck a, Dynasty a, folks hear about this? This was they, pre-Duck Dynasty. And, pre-duck and, dynasty, and okay. these have only been published in Dutch. His second book about a different topic, which uh, he learned about because somebody brought it to his attention, knowing that this is the guy who collects unusual things. His second book has the title, The Butt Crack of the Tick. Okay. <laughs> this sounds like sexually frustrated science. Radio listeners cannot see the look on Leanne's face. <laughs> no, they can't. They can't. I just, I just, yeah, I'm stunned. The Butt Crack of the Tick. Yes. Wow. Ticks do have big butts, though, when you look at them. They're all butt. Think about it. They got the little front part where they have the legs. And then there's hey, why huge, do you know this? Because I've seen... Tick butts. I just don't remember seeing a butt crack. Tell, tell us more, Neil. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I, you are really hey, digging could, your grave I here, could get sir. a research paper out of this if you keep And it. perhaps an Ig Nobel Prize. <laughs> oh, my keep God. Keep doing that. Uh, so probably are things that live in there, bacteria. Oh, I and... don't. I, I can't. Yeah, don't even go there. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I want to spend more time on a second segment on previous winners of your Ig Nobel Prize, but I want to first understand the Journal of Improbable Research. What kind of things land there? <laughs> oh, birds and all sorts yeah. of things. Yeah, the annals, please, of improbable research. The heart of the magazine, magazine comes out six times a year, mm-hmm. and the heart of it is little pieces, little quotations from scientific studies that are published. And there are lots of studies published. The last time anybody did a count just of journals, this is science journals being published, and this was about 15 years ago, there were about 25,000 scientific journals Whoa. being published. And that's that's if you ignore the little tiny ones that are just within somebody's department somewhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's so much stuff that nobody ever sees all this. So the heart of the magazine is little citations, little, little quotes from some of these things that all, if we've done a good job, have that quality that they're funny and you also want to go and tell somebody about them. But they were not intended to be funny. No. They're funny sort of out of context, in a sense. Some of them are funny in context. There are some things that just are funny. So, good example. Example. Uh, well, we'll get back to the duck again, you know. <laughs> no, but that duck got the Ig Nobel Prize, right? Yeah. Okay, but I just want to, just something that's just random that would you would choose to land to. Okay, here's one. There. Here's one. This, this one also got a prize, but uh, the people who did it did not think there was anything funny about it when they did. It was done by seven Australian scientists published in a journal of ergonomics, which is uh, studying how you build and make things that are comfortable to use versus Mm -hmm. uncomfortable to use or dangerous versus undangerous to use. I heard that that only arose as a thing when baby boomers started getting arthritis and turned old. And they said, we got to invent things that serve our hand and body They did posture. not want to go quietly into they, that good night, exactly. did they? I would love to know if that's true. If yeah, I, well, it, it, it correlates. Whether or not yeah. it's a cause yeah. and effect is another yeah. thing. Yeah. That's this, when OXO came out. You know, it's when, just when I needed OXO, it's there with all of the kitchen ut- implements. Uh, that. Thank are, you, baby boomers. <laughs> <laughs> so go on, but I, I interrupted. This study that these Australian scientists published 
published uh, was called An Analysis of the Forces Required to Drag Sheep Across Various Surfaces. Are these, I mean, but sheep have legs. Sheep do have normally, legs, so. which is sometimes part of the problem. We gave these guys an Ig Nobel Prize, and it was only on the phone call when I was offering them the prize that the, the guy on the other end realized that what they'd done is funny. Aww. The reason they did it, they live in a part of Australia where sheep are a major industry. And people in that industry had a problem. They called some scientists in asking them, can you please make things better? Can you problem talk to is, our sheep? <laughs> yeah. Well, problem is that there's a, uh, there's, there's a large building and thousands of sheep are, are brought in at the same time to be sheared, to have their wool cut off. To be, and, and the, the cutting is done with big electric clippers, which are very dangerous. There are a lot of injuries every year to the sheep and to the people using it. And things go much smoother if the sheep will move where you want them to move when you want them to. But sheep don't always do what you want them to do. Like people. Yep. So the scientists were asked, can you, is there anything we can do? make the building a different shape or anything to make this stuff go quicker and less dangerously. That's what the, the report was about. One of their conclusions, one of the things that these scientists decided after working on this for a year or so was very simple. And it boils down to it's easier to drag a sheep downhill. Than in any other direction. Yes. In some of these buildings, they were trying to drag sheep uphill, and the sheep were not caught. They could have asked an astronomer, you know. We, we know all about gravity. Yay, and, and science. <laughs> I look forward to your next ergonomics paper about sheep, dear astronomer. I, okay. Well, when, when, when Star Talk comes back, we have Mark Abrams as our special guest. Are there any constellations that involve sheep? Uh, no. Why not? Well, was the ram. There's okay. Aries the ram. Yeah, okay. I guess that's sheep, isn't it? Yeah, what a a boy ram. A boy sheep. Mm -hmm. Is there a boy sheep? Yeah, it's ewes and rams. So we got a, we have sheep in the sky. We got it. So when we come back, more with Mark Abrams and the Ig Nobel Prize. back star talk radio i'm neil degrasse tyson lee and lord hey. my co-host we've got as a guest mark abrams down from cambridge massachusetts where he runs the journal of improbable research and annually awards the ig nobel prize for science research that that <laughs> makes you laugh <laughs> And, and then and then think <laughs> and then think, but I it makes See, me I laugh. Was listening and then cry. But, but, but Leanne, you had a question left over from segment one. What was it? I, I did. You guys used a term. You bantered back and forth, and I feel I generationally missed it. Mm -hmm. uh, what's OXO? OXO. I, am I pronouncing it right? I think I it's, don't know. it's an entire brand of kitchen implements where when oh. you touch your hand to the handles, it's like, hey, I like this in my hand. I don't even want to let go of it. 
Oh, so you cooking with fancy stuff? No, no, ain't it? It's on any wall. No, mm, it, it no, costs a couple no. dollars more, but that's it. Yeah, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the couple dollars more and the the upping of the of the tone of your voice tells me everything I need. Oh, to know. analyzing the tone of my voice. Mm-hmm. You went up you. an octave, and so yeah. If I can add some fuel to this fire, that company is British, so these are British Ooh. expensive mm. British imported so, tools. Important. Yeah. So next time, look at the wall of kitchen implements, and there's a whole section i don't think they have that at walmart (laughs) just hold them in your hand hold them in your hand and you'll see they feel more comfortable so i'll buy better kitchen implements and no food People have to make choices. I'm haggling, <laughs> gotta make choices. I'm, gotta make choices. I'm haggling for a raise here on Star Talk. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> so your Nobel Prizes, you, I'm told you give ten a year. Is that right? Each we give a, ten. Yeah, we've been doing it every year since 1991. And each is in a category. That's right. And I, I was reading over some of the categories. They're hilarious. So uh, it, the in what was it in 2010? When did you, the Public Health Prize? For wait, I got to read this because I you would not you won't believe it. You, you'd think I scientists from the Czech Republic, Japan, India, and the United States investigated whether it is mentally hazardous for a human being to own a cat. That got an Ig Nobel Award. Oh yes, that was this year, two thousand fourteen. Two thousand fourteen, and the, that prize was split between two different teams. One of them based in Europe. One of them based here and in India. The Europe team. Uh, is really headed by a colorful guy. You should look this guy up on the internet. He's the most interesting looking person you have ever seen. Uh, his name is Yaroslav Fleger, F-L-E-G-R. He's from Czechoslovakia. A name like that, you got to be interesting looking, right? <laughs> <laughs> and he, for 20 or 30 years, has been looking at a particular parasite called toxoplasma that pretty commonly lives in cats. So it's a natural parasite to the cat. Yeah, yep. And it's easily transmitted from cats to people who hang around the cats. And what... Just to to be clear, if a cat has this parasite, the cat is not sick. Right. It's just normal for a healthy cat. Right. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Well, in some cases, and nobody understands why sometimes it goes one way, sometimes the other, that... Sometimes the cat seems to behave just like a normal cat, but sometimes because it has this parasite, the cat will start behaving in ways that are very destructive to itself. That are toxoplasmic yes. to itself. Yes, okay. toxoplasmosis <laughs> is the disease. And sometimes apparently that happens to humans. And these people are now wondering, well, have been for a while, and other people that the, you've heard the phrase cat lady yeah. of somebody yes. who owns hundreds of cats and behaves in a very, very eccentric way that maybe a lot of those people are infected with this uh, parasite. Does part, of the, does part of the manifestation of that infection make you want to acquire more cats? Yeah. Because the old cat lady never has just one cat. That's Well, no. well that's, that's so, the thinking. That so this, this is a way happens, for the yeah. parasite to reproduce itself yep. by getting you to want more cats that contain the parasite. I'll go with it. That's a yeah. brilliant parasite. Yeah. I, I, yeah. All this time I thought it was the cats <laughs> no, that all, were in charge. It's all about the parasite. Yeah. And there are other wow. parasites that behave in similar ways in other animals. Okay, but, so yeah. what, what are some of the disorders? I mean, I, when I think of a cat lady, they're a little odd, but they're a lot of odd older people. So I, I never uniquely implicated the fact that it's yeah. a cat lady. So well, it's not always a cat lady. It's not always a lady. Right. But uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're crazy cat dudes. They're, they're a whole range. Uh, and, really and they're, yeah. you, wait, wait, wait. Pause. How many crazy cat dudes do you know? 
I'm yeah. dating. There are lots of crazy characters. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay, and 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 you find yourself especially attracted to? No, not at all. Yeah, uh, you, thank you. No. Yes, well, I was well, I was going to ask. What that, happens but... is they hide the cat, and then I find out there's a cat. Oh, you know, they hide because the cat. you don't necessarily the first date isn't necessarily at their apartment. How does one hide a cat? Well, it doesn't. It's not the. It's, you don't lead with the cat. She doesn't go I'm home saying. with at the first date. Right. Every night, and the, it may not. It's not something like they might not lead with. Like, hi, my name is so and so. I have a cat. You know, that would be a little off putting. If you've had so many bad experiences, I would expect that by now you lead with the question. Hi. <laughs> like, do hey, you do you have a cat? Hi, I find you very attractive. Do you have a cat? Not even do you have a job? Is your mom crazy? Do you have a cat? But yeah. I'm looking at these symptoms. You've got uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, yeah. schizophrenia, and that leads me to wonder whether these legends of cat people, these are people with multiple personality disorders. Catwoman. You, uh, what's, uh, and the Natasha Kinski film, Cat People. Well, I, I think there's more, more than one version of that film. Her, the one she's in is the one I remember. These are people. I wonder why. <laughs> these are people who, who the cat manifestation interferes with their psychological state. I heard. So you, do you think this might go way back? I heard you laugh when you first brought up this topic, and now I hear you asking very good questions, thinking about it. That's but I'm why not crying we, yet. That's why we gave a. I'll prize. be crying soon when, that's you, why when we we're done. Prize. <laughs> we we gave the other. We shared. Or, or we we gave this prize to two groups. The other group uh, recently looked at a lot of medical records. I mean, a lot, many, many thousands. And they looked at the records of people who had been treated for having because they were bitten by a cat. And they found that some large fraction of those people who had been treated medically for having been bitten by a cat also had been treated at some point for depression. Mm. Now, this is, as Neil, as you were saying, this is, this is a correlation. It's not necessarily the, the case that one of these causes the other, but it's mighty interesting that these things do seem to go Worth hand in hand sometimes. Study. Wait, wait. So just, I, I'm trying to understand what it is that's correlating with what. Is it that... Owning a cat could lead to depression, and or is it? But they, he's that people that who are depressed are more likely to own cats. But it's yeah. coming off the cat bite. Those are the people that were studied yeah. that have that high fraction. That high yeah. Percentage. No, no, the cat bite was just an excuse to get, to now do the test because they're in the hospital. I mean, that's that no, got no. them to the hospital. Oh. Well, many well, people are bitten who don't go to the hospital. Yeah. So there's there are all kinds of questions that come from this. But the the so the the simple fact that they found was that in the hospital records, people who have been bitten by a cat, you know, and enough that it shows up on a hospital medical record somewhere, many of those people also have on their same record that they have been treated for depression. But what are we trying to correlate here? That depressed people buy cats, that owning a cat makes you depressed, that depressed people are more likely to be bitten by a cat? What are we? What are we looking for? The here? answer to your question is all of the above. That's going to yes. Be is mm-hmm. yes. These are good questions, and that's as far as it goes. And right this now. makes you very interesting at a cocktail party. No, I like. I'm I doing like, this at a cocktail party. I like I'm bringing this up at my answers party. and insight here. Don't leave me with 20 questions dangling in front of my face. You're a scientist. You're supposed to have questions dangling no, I, in front of your face. No, no, no. Excuse me. If I have the question. How, see how impatient he gets when he has a good question. He doesn't have the answer. This is <laughs> no, what no, drives no. him forward. Well, no, no, hold on. This is science in action. I'll, ladies I'll allow, allow me to clarify. Oh dear. I love me an unanswered question. <laughs> But not after That's a you've already not after you've already done the freaking research. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> don't do research and say here are four questions. We don't have the answer. Go back and do the damn experiment. And I'll be applying for my grant <laughs> to do 
just that. <laughs> okay. Next question. Please. Next question. So well, how about the schizophrenia and compulsive disorder w- related to cat ownership? Is well, that How about it? <laughs> do you think it's, is it that parasite or is it something else about the cats? I don't know. I don't know. We just give these prizes. You know, we don't. You just we, hand we, them out. We stir up trouble. That's what we do, sir. <laughs> so others, uh, my favorite category you have is safety engineering. That just the idea that that would be a category and I, you'd find I, things I to fit. I think I know which which particular achievement you're going to mention. Go for it. And, which one? Which one? Uh, Troy Herdebees, is that the name? Uh, which what's which is the prize? Yes. 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 We that uh, in all 24 years we've been doing this, there is one that still stands out in my mind as having been the most difficult one to figure out a category that describes it. It's it's that one we finally came up with we invented the category of safety engineering. The prize went to a man named Troy Hertebees, who lives in Canada, in the city of North Bay, Canada, which I think is about a six or seven hour drive north of Toronto. Um, Troy won an Ig Nobel Prize because he had spent seven years trying to develop and personally test a suit of armor that he hoped would protect him against grizzly bears. There are films of his tests. You can see Troy in his suit, which is made from scrounge materials. He had no money, so he'd get stuff from the dump. So this usually. is an early Iron Man uh, yeah. effort here. Yeah. So yeah. it's safe to assume that Troy doesn't have Netflix? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> what, well, he may not. Part of the inspiration for this, he said two things drove him to start doing this. One was he had some kind of encounter with a grizzly bear out in the, the woods in the Rockies in Canada. And the other was around that same time he had watched the movie RoboCop. Mm-hmm. Oh, mercy. He blend- yes, that's a good summary. <laughs> he blended these two. He went and he got some old hockey equipment and some like other stuff for the dump and, <laughs> and duct nice. tape. And he began building suits and then testing them by having first people do things like throw rocks at him. I can tell you that if his duct tape is if his suit is held together with duct tape, it will not stop a grizzly bear. Yeah. My wife is from Alaska, and before I visited Alaska, I said I'm going to bring my Swiss Army <laughs> knife so I can defend against the. She said no. Just <laughs> I got the whole. You know. You know what works against a grizzly bear? A shotgun. That's what works against a grizzly bear. You know, thirty aught six. You know, what works better. A jeep heading in the other direction. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, Troy, there are films of this. You can you can go online. Uh, there was a documentary called Project Grizzly. You can see Troy in these suits, which got very elaborate. The later ones had sheets of titanium and all sorts of things inside them. You can see him being pushed off the side of a cliff. You can there there is one piece of film to where test you see the to test how that how the much suit, it protects that the suit would work. Yeah, because he wasn't going to start by testing with a grizzly bear. You start with small things and work up, you know, bigger and bigger forces. You can see him standing there in his suit, which is so bulky he can just barely move. If he tries to take a step he falls over and he can't get up. You see him standing like the old there. armor. I think the old yeah. armor of knights. Yeah. It's it's that was it's, not you were not t- tiptoeing They must have gone through the same process, more or less, without grizzly bears because they were too far south. Uh You see him standing in the suit in the middle of an empty field, and then you see a jeep coming in from the side of the the film frame at, I think it was 20, no, 40, 40 kilometers an hour, and slam into him. And in this documentary, you hear a radio interview with, with Troy saying, yeah, we did that 17 times. 
Wow, national health insurance is awesome, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? I can't even imagine doing that here. What is the copay? The impressive on that? thing about Troy, though, you you might look on somebody who would choose to do this as being crazy, um, yeah. single, yeah, single, crazy, Sorry. as single. being singularly crazy. <laughs> uh-huh. You might look on on that person as being that way, but at the same time, it's pretty impressive that he's done all these things and a lot more, and he's still alive. He's very careful. But has he considered that if you're in the woods where you might be attacked by the grizzly bear, you're in the woods to enjoy the woods, not to stand there so that you're not eaten by a grizzly bear? You're speaking for yourself. You're not speaking for Troy. Troy, after his one encounter with a grizzly bear, decided it was important for him to go back and spend time with a grizzly bear, preferably that one, but another would do. You know, I part of me wants to know the bear's point of view. Like, is the bear just sitting there going, dude, Troy, can't we just get along? <laughs> this is unnecessary, man. It's a misunderstanding. I heard Franklin Ajay yeah. bo- uh, joke about uh, grizzly bears, and he says, I wonder if grizzly bears, before they eat you, um, I wonder if they're, they're concerned if you were free range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a guy. Free range humans before you get there, mauled. There was another guy who went out and wanted to spend time with grizzly bears and was insistent that he, he should not have any protection because he and the grizzly bear would commune. Oh, Lord. There was a documentary made about him. Um, it's called Grizzly Man. And it's it's very, very um, stirring to watch those two documentaries together. I bet. <laughs> I do admire, though. You, he he you, was eaten, by the way, and so was his course, girlfriend. Well, of and, course. And it was really horrible. I bet. Um, I, I was just going to say, I do admire what he said, that the stick-to-itiveness, if, to put it very simplistically, uh, of, of what Troy has methodically done. I mean, that patience, that dedication. You don't Stick-to-itiveness. S- yes. yes. Okay, okay. You're a you word lady. S- you don't see that in a lot of people. There, some, no. some are bag ladies, you're a word lady. I am a word yeah. lady. Some are cat ladies, you're a word I'm lady. I'm a word okay. lady. Yeah. Yeah. I accumulate yeah. words. Yeah. People who have won these prizes are extraordinary people. Very dedicated. And you had another safety engineering prize I was reading about where how to capture a terrorist. What, what's that? Oh, we got a yeah, minute left. Is, uh, Give me that one in the, yep, in the minute yep, of this uh, segment. It's a man who lived in New York City, and in the early 1970s, he got a patent for an improved method for capturing airplane hijackers. This method- back in the, That's before hijackers would crash the plane. Yeah. They really just wanted to land it somewhere else. Yeah, I'm old yeah. enough to remember U- that. Usually Havana, yeah. Cuba at that point. Yeah, because we had no plane service to yeah. Cuba. Yeah. Oh. So ha- if we had a ch- plane service to Cuba, they probably would not have been hijacking. They would have just- Bought a ticket. (laughs) But since we had no access to Cuba from the United States, planes from here to Cuba were hijacked. Okay, go on. Yeah. Uh, This method would be to install trap doors in the plane right outside the, uh, the, the cabin so that the captain could press a button which would open the trap doors. The hijacker would fall into the trap doors. There was some machinery which would automatically package the hijacker up, at which point the bomb bay doors, which were installed in the bottom of the airplane, would open up, and the encapsulated hijacker would fall through there. A parachute would open, and police, who had been notified by radio, would be waiting on the ground to capture the parachuting encapsulated hijacker when he reached the That's ground. something out of James Bond. Very. <laughs> when we come back, Star Talk Radio continues with Mark Abrams. Radio. 
we're back. Yeah. I know. I was, I was thinking that. That's like the, the star, sexy star talk after dark voice. What is that? <laughs> when you were a little boy, did you practice that? No, star In t- kindergarten. Star talk <laughs> after hours. <laughs> That's a different edition. It is. We haven't, it is. We haven't perfected yeah. that one yet. I, I can imagine traffic stopping on the street. As <laughs> yeah, that, that's why the fan base is so high. No, I don't know. So, Mark, you award the Ig Nobel Prize and a big ceremony in Cambridge each year. And that's right. people, and you get like Nobel Prize winners to award it. Yeah, right? we've this done is, this from the beginning. We always have a bunch of Nobel Prize winners up there. And in Cambridge, you're never that far away from some Nobel Prizes with Harvard and MIT. That's right. You go into the men's Tufts room and, and you're standing next to. You don't know who. That's awesome. If you go into the men's room, if you go in the women's room, you're still standing next to him. You don't know who, but it's a different setting. But that would be the, okay. <laughs> I don't know what would, why the, the bathroom would need to be specified for when you're standing next to someone who could be important. This, Does that mean important people are the only ones who pee? No, it's just, I think it's just saying you could find important people anywhere, even the least likely of places. Even in the bathroom. Even, even though we all bathroom. go to the bathroom. Yes. Okay. Yes. But not necessarily with your CV on your arm. Yes. <laughs> Correct. So I love these categories. A safety engineering, a peace prize, chemistry prize, physics prize. And one of these, what was the category? I read something about somebody testing the effect of Coca-Cola as a spermicide? What, that what may was have that? been a chemistry prize. Yeah. They're... Um they tested whether Coca-Cola kills sperm. How did... Why, why come up with that? These are some why doctors... By the way, I like, I like ideas no one has yep. thought of before. Yep. But this just wo- you're sitting there, you know, at the soda fountain. There's a Coke. I mean, who's... What state of mind and circumstance leads to this thought? That's really what I want. Here's the story on this one. And, and Ooh, I knew there's a story. Here too. This um, happened in a lab at Harvard Medical School. Deborah Anderson is the scientist. I like who, stories that begin there. This happened at a lab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were uh, doing research on trying to come up with new methods of contraception. And I interrupted you. It was a graduate control. student. Um, Deborah Anderson ran the lab. So ran it was, the lab. It was, and she had a young, very young doctor, uh, a woman who had grown up in Puerto Rico, who was working in, in the lab. And the young woman told her that in, uh, in the high school that this young woman had gone to in Puerto Rico, she said, all the girls there use Coca-Cola as a contraceptive. And Deborah Anderson laughed and thought this was, this was a bizarre joke. And the young woman explained, I'm not joking, this... This was true. Deborah Anderson checked into it and discovered that around the world, a lot of people then and now use Coca-Cola because they believe it's an effective contraceptive. They use it as a douche. That's what led Deborah Anderson to decide, well, let's test whether this stuff does have any effect in killing sperm or not. So they got some sperm and they got four different kinds of Coca-Cola. At that point, it was uh, Classic Coke, uh, New Coke, Diet Coke, and I forget what the other one cherry was. Coke. It cherry Coke. It may have been cherry or oh, maybe some other. Yeah. I just realized what I said. I know. That was that. Yeah. Was, that was, yeah. yes. mm-hmm. They use that the first time. Right? Of course. Okay. If you like, I'll introduce you to Deborah Anna. She'll, she'll okay. appreciate that. <laughs> uh, she came back to the Ig Nobel ceremony and took a bow this year, by the way. She's very good about that. So anyway, uh, actually, they tested wait, actually, it. Yeah. In the movie, in the song Lola, L O L A, Lola. Oh, different Lola, sorry. <laughs> okay, C O L A, Cola. Okay, so in the written version of the song, it mentions cherry cola. 
Oh. But in the in the song version, it's Coca Cola. But the the published version, it says Cherry Cola. So it's that it goes back. There are depths. Yeah. And this. Lola was, I guess, a transvestite in that. And not just a showgirl. I I don't think so. With different song. Yeah, yeah. Lola. That's it's, Lola was hang, just hanging out at the bar. Yeah. So okay, so everything is related. walks like a woman and talks not like in a, a man. sense of my way, but everything. Is I need to. I need okay, to find sorry, out. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry. I just, I need Coca Cola. What? You, okay. you need what? No, to hear the rest of the oh, story. She's, she's, okay. Thank goodness. <laughs> okay, go. Yeah. So they tested it and they discovered that in a test tube it can kill sperm, but in uh, in nature. It's not an effective way of preventing contraception. What's the difference between a test tube and a vaginal wall? That's what you're telling me here. And and all these surroundings, yeah. Mm. Did, did the surroundings neutralize the coke so that it then and, was no longer? And lots of things can go wrong. And they're, yeah. Right. They, so they published something in a medical journal and some. Saying it did not work. Saying that, yes, it does kill sperm, but not in, in, the, way in the way that you, you would want to trust it to be at all effective as okay. a contraceptive. Some doctors in Taiwan read this report in a medical journal, and they decided to run their own test. They tested uh, the same question using Coca-Cola and Pepsi. <laughs> I was wondering when that was going to happen. When was Pepsi going to enter the mm-hmm. equation? Okay. You can So you can go if you want to and easily find their report, and you can see the relative effectiveness of Coke and Pepsi. Both groups, though, are pretty strident in saying that if you want to prevent a child <laughs> from being conceived, you really should not depend on either Coca-Cola right. or Pepsi. Right. And, and, and to, what is now, the cost I'm, of a can I'm of- saying nothing against the Coca-Cola company oh, or the Pepsi company. Because no, no, no. it's, it's usually a rum and Coke that might lead to the shenanigans <laughs> in the first place. That's how you got there. Mm-hmm. So at, in the end, isn't it what's cheaper, a can of Coke or, or a condom? I mean, it, it, maybe that's what it came down to. Coke was for, cheaper than condom. For some people, apparently that is exactly what you it came You would do better to. with a full can of Coke and clocking that brother in the head. <laughs> that's it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> thousand and one uses for a can of Coke. <laughs> wow, that was 1,002. Yeah. And what's this one about black holes? That's, that's, why, that's why, you know. Oh, yeah. You give an award. Tell me about that one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. An Ig Nobel Award for physics, yep. I guess. And, is that right? Uh, you may know a fellow named Walter Lewin. Yeah. Uh, Walter Lewin came and accepted the prize on behalf of the winners because the winners were indecisive about whether to show up at the ceremony. The winners were Dr. Jack Van Impey and his wife, Rexella Van Impey. They have a television program you may have seen called uh, Jack Van Impey Presents. They are televangelists. The program is in the form of a news report with all the trappings of a news report. They are fascinated by science, although not in the way most people are fascinated by science. They pluck little pieces of science um, reports out of the news, and they'll start talking about them. But you know that if you just let them talk long enough, they will eventually relate that piece of science to something in the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, cite it as evidence. So cherry-picking science. I wonder Cherries, yes, that yes. That's so rare. That's, I don't know. If that ever, this yeah, is the yeah. first time I've heard of yeah, that. Yeah, please, go on. <laughs> and they one night announced, and they gave some detail, that they had 
discovered that uh, black holes fulfill all of the technical requirements uh, to be the location of hell. Wow. And so we gave them the Ig Nobel Prize, and we called them up, as we do in almost all cases, and quietly offered it to them, gave them the chance to decline. They did not decline, but they uh, they wavered about whether they were going to come to the ceremony. And finally, um, not too long before the ceremony, Dr. Jack Van Impe's secretary called up and said, oh, sorry, Dr. Van Impe cannot come because he has a previously scheduled fundraiser. Mm. So we called Walter Lewin, who is an astrophysicist at MIT, which is right down the street. And he very kindly came and uh, accepted custody of the prize. And he talked about how grateful the astrophysics community is for this knowledge that no one had suspected until this work was done that um, black holes fulfill all the technical requirements. Well, on the, the flip side of that, I remember an ignoble paper from decades ago hmm? that where there was a calculation demonstrating that heaven was hotter than hell. Yeah, that was we we didn't give a prize to that, but uh, it that, appeared in the journal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was yeah, where yeah. if you can measure the entropy yeah. generated by souls who were well-behaved and who believe in a heaven, because mm -hmm. we don't believe in heaven, you're not going to heaven, right? right. So it's not everybody, it's just those who believe. That. And then, so their souls go to heaven, and it brings a certain level of sort of entropy, and 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 so then you can add all of that up. Mm -hmm. And when you add all of that up, it each, each, each soul contributes a certain sort of fractional... A bit of energy to the to the heaven, and then there it is, hotter than mm -hmm. hotter than hell. And after that uh, article came out, there were uh, almost an endless series of letters from other scientists picking at little bits oh, of the course, equation, of saying you made an error, and uh, really should be. Your uh, thermodynamic uh, yeah, uh, approximations yes, were invalid. Yes, right? yes. Wouldn't heaven be air conditioned? I mean, seriously, guys. Oh, good. Here's here's another one. There it is. See. There there's, there's always one more scientist waiting to wade into this Did battle. Did you just call me a scientist? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And how about the, what's it with dogs? I used to walk dogs. That's how I bought my first telescope. I walked, I, I was in the glory days of dog walking before you had to clean up after them. So I could walk four dogs, they'd poop everywhere, I would just keep walking. And you wanted a telescope no. to examine that? <laughs> <laughs> the inner world of poop. But my first telescope, I was in middle school. Back then we called it junior high school. So what did you find out about dogs? Pooping and peeing? I read the Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that prize this year. There have been several prizes over the years related to dogs. The prize this year went to a team from Czechoslovakia and Germany. They gathered data over a long period of time, and they say that their data shows that dogs tend to align their bodies. That's the, the line of head to, to tail. They tend to align that with the geomagnetic lines of force around the earth. When they poop or pee. When they poop or pee. And they say the data shows that that alignment happened only on the days when the magnetic field was f relatively strong, uh, days when there were things interfering and, and the field lines were not so strong. So it's not because it. most city grids are aligned somehow north-south, and if you're walking a dog... I think these were all done out in fields, or most of them wow. were... And there are lots of questions that it raises, that many of which I'm sure you can... Okay, I'm so, so not forget, the, forget the GPS. You want to know north-south, just make your dog poop. Listen, and you're I, good. They I also always have, believed yeah. my dog was a genius. They have an app, too, that anybody can download for free. They're hoping that lots more people will gather data on their dogs and send it in through this app. Or it's strap something app? to the dog. Poop app. Sorry. <laughs> 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 a poop app. <laughs> one, one more here before we... I want to get to that in the seconds we have remaining. <laughs> 
Uh, what's this with the five-second rule? Somebody researched that? The five-second yeah, that rule? Was, That's sacred. What do you, uh-huh. you can't it, touch it was, that. It was a high school student, a girl in Chicago, who did that one summer. She had a job in a laboratory, and she tested the five-second rule. The five-second rule being the idea that if you drop food on the floor, if you pick it up within five seconds, it's safe to eat. Oh, yeah. What she discovered... Duh, everybody knows that. What she discovered <laughs> was, the answer is, well, sort of. If the food is not sticky and the floor is clean, it's probably fine. Otherwise, it's probably not. Makes sense. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Or I don't think anyone who has sticky food that lands down on a dirty floor would be invoking the five-second rule. I also think it depends how hungry you are. Yeah, well, they they <laughs> measured. Yeah, they they measured bacteria. Well, she measured bacteria before and after. How many got onto the food Yikes. from the floor? And not if you kissed it and held it up to God or anything like that. That would be a separate investigation. That's a separate That's experiment. A separate, yeah. yeah. So you have a book out. What, what's the name of your book? You got I, several. The Ignoble Cookbook. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. That's just out. Yeah. We asked a bunch of Ig Nobel Prize winners to send us recipes to cook things related to what they've done. The scientist who discovered homosexual necrophilia in the mallard duck, he, it's a, he, it's sent, a duck us, he sent us his favorite recipe for preparing duck. And awesome! But is it homosexual ducks or just... Does that change <laughs> the flavor? Yeah, does that change the flavor? It's uh, <laughs> only in a metaphorical sense. And uh, so that's that's one book. But the other is called This is Improbable Too, which is a... Uh, it's stems from a collection of my newspaper columns in The Guardian in London. So you write for the Brits. Uh, Yeah, I've been writing writing column there for about 10 years. They they hardly ever take writers from America because it's just not... I was thrown out of America. I mean, people there were kind (laughs) of... We're not as literate as the folks over there. So congratulations (laughs) that they got you there. So it's a collection of those those articles. It's a collection of all sorts of things uh, from science studies that most people have never run across that make people laugh and then think. So you're just, you're, you're at it even more as you do that. Yeah. Thanks for being a guest on Thank Star you. Talk Radio. This, Mark, this was great. Thank Leanne, you. as always. Thank you. Uh, my most charming co host ever. Thank I'm you. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Star Talk Radio is sponsored in part by a grant from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. As always, I bid you to keep looking up.